All right, well, we're going to continue in our, series, our Advent series, uh, so if you would, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, the Bible uh, text is also printed uh, for you uh, in your bulletin as well, so we're going to be looking at verses 18 through four, uh, I'm sorry, 14 through 18. If you remember, our Advent series is entitled Cure Deus Homo, which means why the God-man. Okay, so we're looking at the importance of the incarnation. Why, is it, why was it necessary and um, needed? for Jesus to become a human in the form of a baby. So the sermon title today, you'll see it in uh, your bulletin, is The Destruction of the Devil and Death. That's, so that's, we're going to be looking at that kind of topic today. So we're looking in the book of Hebrews, and um, the book of Hebrews is a word of exhortation, encouraging the people of the church to endure trials and temptations. So he's saying it, it, they're going through a very difficult time in their life, and he's saying uh, uh, endure, for God is with you. And as many of you know, the book of Hebrews, uh, we don't know the author. Uh, it's really inconclusive. There's a lot of debate back and forth. There's been scholarly debate for generations upon generations, and often commentators and other people will uh, just call him the preacher. Um, so that's kind of what I'll, I'll reference him. I'm not going to say a name because we don't know the author of Hebrews, but the preacher or maybe the author. So let's go ahead and get into the word. It's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we open your word, we know that we need you. We need your spirit to enlighten our minds and our hearts that we may be transformed by this life-giving word. Father, we are grateful that we get to look into the depth of your revelation of yourself and see more of why you came why you had to come in the form of a baby. So this morning, God, I pray that you would be here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So growing up, uh, I was uh, in a household who loved the Dallas Cowboys. My mom is actually over here. I didn't know she was going to be here today. It's kind of funny. My, so my grandpa loved the Cowboys, and so did my mom, right? So uh, we, we're in a house that we didn't, we're not really sports-watching people except for the Cowboys. That was the one sports team that we watched. Okay, so I have, uh, when, when I was outside, this is in the 90s, right? So I was born in 86, so this is like the middle of the 90s when the Cowboys were actually good, right? So, um, so you can imagine little Dawson, like I was pretending to be Troy Aikman, throwing the ball to Michael Irvin, like Emmett Smith is running the ball as the running back. You know, it's that team that we're cheering for, right? So I have, I have very m- vivid memories of me cheering on the Cowboys as a child. And if you remember, uh, in the middle of the 90s, the Cowboys went to the Super Bowl uh, as back-to-back champions. So Super Bowl 29 and 30, you may not remember this, but I vividly remember this. Okay, so we uh, had big church events, 
for these Super Bowl parties. It was like a catch-all. People would come, and I remember my dad was a pastor at the time, and he stepped, stepped on the stage on Sunday morning and said, like, oh, we're going to have a Super Bowl uh, party this afternoon. He's like, you can just cheer for whoever you want. And then he unzipped his jacket, and it was a Cowboys jersey, right? So, like, we went, and I remember, like, the excitement. I remember the excitement. In Super Bowl 29, they beat the Bills. I remember, like, the excitement in the room. Most people were Cowboys fans, so they were really excited. The next year, it happened again in, in Super Bowl 30. If we think about any sports team, right, any time that you're uh, engaged in sports, like playing or watching, we, we know that the, both teams are there with the hope to win the game, right? That is the purpose. That is their purpose in entering the competition. And you have to know that when, whenever, you, when, whenever you watch a game or you play a game, there is just emotion that rises up when your team wins, right? Like, I'm not a big sports guy. But, but even when I go with my buddies to the D-backs or uh, we, we used to go to the Cardinals, when your team wins, it's exciting. Like we love that. It's exhilarating to us. And often when we come to the incarnation, when Jesus coming to the earth, do we think about it as a victory, as exciting and thrilling as the Cowboys winning two Super Bowls in a row? Like he came uh, to win a battle. And it's, it's as if Jesus were in the biggest sports game in the history of the world, and he won without the opponent even scoring a single point. Okay? So in a moment, we're going to talk about this idea of Jesus as our champion, that he came and he won the victory for us. He beat our biggest enemy because we're all subjected to the power of death. That's what the text tells us. The, 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 this is a thing that we never could have beaten. Unlike sports, we couldn't have trained for hours upon hours, years upon years to beat this. We couldn't have. We could have tried, but in the end, we could not have won. No, but by, the Bible tells us that we are slaves to death. We never could have won. So we're going to see the theme today. I have this in your bulletin for you is that the Jesus took on flesh and blood to destroy death. And really, Jesus is described, I would say, in two different ways. Uh, in the text, and these are the two points that we're going to look at. First is champion, and the second is helper. Okay, champion and helper is where we're going today. Okay, so we need to recap uh, from last week some because Chuck did read, read this text last week. So if you remember, Chuck preached on propitiation uh, last week, which is, if you think about like the biblical um, definition, it's the turning away of divine wrath. Okay, it's, it's God's wrath being moved away from you. He also spoke on expiation, which is the removal of your sin. So the sin went somewhere else. It went to Jesus. So last week, we looked at verse 17. You saw you, propitiation is one of those words when I read, I'm like, I never use that word unless I'm talking about the Bible. So it like strikes me. So we, it, we read it in the text today, but we're not going to look at it today. I'm just reminding you that, that, that I could preach a whole sermon on just verse 17, but we're not going to do that because that's not the topic of today. But remember that Jesus, he came to mend the relationship that was marred by sin that he paid the penalty, that he took on our sin and, and, and received the wrath that we deserve. That was last week, okay? So today, we're going to be starting at looking in this idea of Jesus as our champion, okay? So we're looking at verses 14 through 15. Uh, to fully understand it, you know, I'm always going to talk about context. It's just the way I was taught, okay? So this, this is one continuous argument that he has in chapter 2 from verses 10 to 18, so I'm going to read uh, verse 10 just so we can get where we are in the chapter, and then we'll, we'll move on to verse 14 in a second. Okay, so verse 10 says this. For it was fitting that he, 
for whom and by whom all things existed in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, so this is one continuous argument from verse 10 to verse 18. And the backbone of the whole thing is this, that Jesus had to become like us to save us. That he had to take on bone and flesh. He had to lower himself. He had to share in our humanity. In Christ, he identified himself with humanity in his incarnation. And I want you to look at, um, well, it's not in your, ver- in your uh, bulletin, I'm sorry, but if you have your Bible open, in verse 10 it says this at the end. It says, um, the ESV tells us this, if you have an ESV. It says, make the foundation, found, founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, so this idea of founder is translated in many different ways across uh, the scope of translation. The Greek word is archagon, and there's, there's lots of translations. I was really intrigued by this, actually. I, I opened up Bible Gateway. If you've ever never, never done this, it's really interesting. You can, I typed in Hebrews 2.10, and I looked at it, and it was like almost every translation had a different um, noun for this one uh, rendering. So I had to read a lot about this idea because it's at the crux of our text, right? Who is Jesus? And one of the utmost scholars of the book of Hebrews right now is William Lane. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce agrees with this too, and he renders this word champion. So he says that he is the champion of their salvation. He is the one who has won the victory. And William Lane, in one of his commentaries, says this, Jesus is depicted as the champion who came to the aid of the oppressed people of God. The translation champion takes into account not simply verse 10, but a distinctive and fresh presentation of the significance of Christ's death in the paragraph as a whole. So that's all of what we're looking at. So we have to start with 10 because we're in 14. It's in the middle of the paragraph. Okay, so now let's look at starting in verse 14. We're going to see in kind of verses 14 and 15, this is going to be the, really the main uh, portion we're going to look at in the text. But we see that the, that the um, how it's described here is hung on two different verbs. And I have this in your bulletin for you as well. It's to destroy and to deliver. This is what Jesus does. So we're going to start with to destroy in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So the preacher is showing here that you and I, we all share in the same humanity, right? We all have flesh and blood, and Jesus comes just like we share humanity. He came to share the same humanity. Okay, it says in the text, he partook of the same things. This is explaining that he had to endure the same humanity that you and me do. And commentators call this parallel symmetry. Okay, it means it's running parallel with each other. He's saying that Jesus came like us, looking like us, feeling like us, right? It emphasizes how Jesus resembles his children he's coming to save. In other words, he needed to be born of a woman. He needed to come into weak and frail humanity through infancy. And if he was to enter earthly life, he was also going to die. To be fully human, Jesus was to experience the same things you and I do. Birth, life, and death. So the purpose of the incarnation was for him to be born like you and me in the same way 
and die and yet beat death. But the text tells us this, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So remember in the first half of the verse I told you it's parallel symmetry. They're running parallel with one another, right? This is not that. He flips it for this one. It's called concentric symmetry. So instead of running parallel with one one another, he's trying to show contrast. He's contrasting the Son of God incarnate with the devil, who is our adversary. So in other words, God is, I mean, Jesus is coming in opposition to the devil. He's coming to do the opposite work. He's coming to undo the work of the devil. The devil seduced man and woman into sin, and this rebellion brought death into life. And Jesus comes to undo that. He comes to remove sin and death from his people. He reverses the work of the devil by providing a way for sin to be forgiven and death to be removed. So Jesus comes in opposition to death and devil, the devil. He identifies with you and me in flesh and blood. And I want you to think about this. He took on our sin. He died on our behalf, not on any consequence of his rebellion. He was 100% consecrated to the will of God. We see that throughout the scriptures. But yet he came on our behalf to destroy sin and death and the devil. So first, we got to see that he came to destroy death. But secondly, he came to deliver his children. This is in verse 15. Look with me there. Verse 15 says this, came to deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus comes to deliver his people from what? What does the text say? What is he delivering his people from? The fear of death, right? He is coming um, to relieve us from this slavery. We see this later in the text in 16 that we are enslaved to the fear of death. I want you to think it back to what we said a minute ago. The sin and death were never supposed to be a part of the picture. That sin and death entered into creation upon the seduction of the devil. Now humanity, it is plagued with the consequences that come from that original sin. My kids are both in children's worship. Yeah, so recently I've been working on my own children's rebellion, right? They're seven and almost six. So it's constant, like it is for all of us. And when I talk to them, I try to explain to them, when you sin against your mom or your dad or your sister or yourself or God or someone you don't know, there are consequences. The word that comes up a hundred times each day. (laughs) Right? And if you're truthful, you're going to say it to yourself, it would be a hundred times, I'm going to have to say it to myself a hundred times each day also. So, And what I try to tell them is the authority that I have over you has been given to me by God. And my, what God has instructed me to do as a parent is to reveal truth to you about God and about the world. So when you sin, there are consequences. I got to paint that on the wall so they see that. And they know, right? Like they hit their sister, like, like X, Y, Z consequence. But at the same time, I always got to point them to Jesus. Saying somebody had to pay the consequence. Somebody had to pay it. And somebody did. So I get to point to them. I mean, Haven, it, there's no greater joy of a parent than seeing your old, own uh, daughter uh, profess faith. So they, 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 they see that. And I try to explain, and I want to explain to all of us, that we were not designed for sin. 
We weren't designed for this. It messes with God's created order, that we are actually designed to rule over creation in harmony, in shalom, in peace. We were called to cultivate the earth in peace. One commentator says this, Tragically, human beings destined to rule over creation are slaves, paralyzed by fear. So now as sin has entered, we are enslaved by the fear of death. And apart from God's intervention on our behalf, we would remain enslaved, anxious, because death awaits. But the text tells us, what does the text tell us? It tells us that Christ came to deliver his people from this. That we are all still subjected to death, but when you're in Christ, the terror of death is removed. You know that you have eternal life with Jesus. And the foundation of this removal of anxiety of the fear of death is this, that death no longer can separate Christ's people from Christ's love. It cannot separate you from that. Death no longer holds the sting. That's biblical uh, verbiage that is used throughout the New Testament. And 1 Corinthians says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Philippians 1, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And here, I'm not trying to paint death lightly, right? I, I don't know if it's the age I've gotten to or what's... But in this last year, I, I haven't experienced a lot of death in my life, the people around me. My grandfather passed away when I was 10. But since then, I have not experienced much death at all. But in the last year... Literally, I was talking to Allison about this. I thought it was a year before this, but both my grandparents passed away. Allison's grandfather passed away, and then I had a really close friend two weeks ago lost his dad. And it just, it hurts. Like, I, 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 went, I, I went to my friend's house a couple weeks ago, and his dad was 56. And he's my age. And, and we sat, and I wept with him. I cried. I said, this doesn't feel right. But death still hurts. The next day, or a few days later, we went to the funeral. And he was a believer, my, my, my friend's dad. Do you know what the pastor preached? He preached hope. Because that's what we have as believers. Even though the de- death hurts our heart, it makes, us, it, it, it makes us fall to our knees and weep. Yet, at the same time, if you're in Christ, there is hope because we, we know that Christ has come. He has undone the work of the devil. Death no longer holds its sting because we'll forever be with Jesus. That's the story I heard over and over about my friend's father. Well, he's rejoicing now with Jesus, and we will see him again. So a minute ago, when I, when I brought up Jesus as champion, I didn't give you the full quote, but here it is. It says this, Jesus is depicted as the champion who came to the aid of the oppressed people of God. He identified himself with them as representative. He became locked in mortal combat with a fearsome adversary who held the power of death. He overthrew the devil in order to release those whom this evil tyrant had enslaved. Jesus is the champion who secured the deliverance of his people through the suffering he endured. He came to look like us, to share in our humanity as our representative. He
he destroyed death and the devil on our behalf. Now, I love action movies. I think a few months ago I brought up Jason Bourne, right? If you know this, a classic uh, action movie is Taken. Share of hands if you've seen Taken. Have you seen this movie? Oh, geez. Okay, I'm going to spoil it for a lot of you guys. Okay, I'm sorry. It's like 20 years old, so just like Jason Bourne. I'm, I'm trying to bring out old ones, so I'm not like, uh, like ruining any movies. Anyway, so Liam Neeson is a main character. He, he goes by uh, Brian Mills in this movie. So he's a former uh, government operative, okay? So he has a teenage daughter that he was kind of estranged to, and they're, they're mending their relationship, right? And he has her for the summer. And daughter comes home super excited one day and says, oh, guess what, daddy? My, my friend has a cousin who wants to take us on vacation to Paris. And being a government operative, he's seen like all the bad stuff about traveling and, and the world. So with hesitation, he allows her to go. He knows the danger, danger of the world, so he's really worried. Like that's like what the whole first part of the movie is about, right? So he's like, when you get off the plane in Paris, you call me right away. So she, obviously she's 16, so she doesn't do that. Like none of us would have at 16. So 16 gets there, gets to the house where they are, right? Dad calls on the phone and says, hey, you're supposed to call me. Like it's like, oh, he was busy at the airport, blah, 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 whatever. Excuse after excuse. Okay, so she's on the phone with him, and she says, Daddy, they took Molly. So you see in the movie, you can see, it's kind of like me looking out this window right here. You can see through the house, and there's a, somebody that just captured the 16-year-old friend of her. And, you know, this government operative, if you haven't seen the movie, you could sh- it's amazing. You should go watch it. Anyway, Liam Neeson has this really low voice, so he's talking calmly to his uh, daughter through this. He's like, this is what you've got to do. Get under the bed, leave the phone live, and they're going to take you. So they come. They take her out from under the bed. The phone is sitting there live. The captor picks it up. And, he's, and, and Liam Neeson starts explaining, let my daughter go. You don't know the skills that I have. And he ends with this famous quote. If you haven't seen the movie, you may have seen this at least. It says this. I will, in a Liam Neeson voice, I don't have a super low voice, but it's way better when he says it. I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. That's what he says, okay? So the entire movie is this story of him beating down all these criminals, one after the other. So Liam Neeson beats through all the criminals and finds his daughter has been in the sex trade. The worst thing he could imagine, right? And in fact, in the end, he does find them and kills them all. He goes to Paris to destroy the enemy of his daughter. And what does he do when he conquers the enemy? He takes her home. Just like our text, Liam Neeson destroyed the enemy and delivered his daughter home. He's like, you're coming back with me now. This is the same thing that Jesus has done for you and me. By taking on human flesh, he died on our behalf, conquering our worst enemy. Essentially, he's welcoming us home, back into the peaceful life that we are intended to live, knowing that one day, there will be no pain. There will be no fear. There will be no more sin. Okay, we're going to be looking lastly at verses 16 and 18, and I really think that this is like the application for us. Like it's a lot of truth up front in the text, and then it leaves us with 16 and 18 really as Jesus as our helper. So let's look with that uh, briefly as we close. Verse 16 says this, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those 
who are being tempted. Remember, the verse between these two is verse 17. This is where uh, the writer is talking about Jesus making propitiation for him, for us. But the idea of Jesus helping people, it's intimately tied to that truth, that, that his work on the cross is how he helps us. Verse 17, it speaks of Jesus making atonement for his people. And verse 18 picks up. It says this right at the beginning, because he himself suffered. So through his suffering death, he is able to help you and me. Now this verse is, is, is saying here that Christ's suffering was the source of his temptation. He suffered, then he was tempted. That was the temptation to leave, but he did not. He endured the temptation. So Jesus, the faithful one who endured every trial and temptation that you and I do, he overcame it. That is why he is the perfect one to be qualified to help us. Now, in this specific verse, often we're looking for like a, how does that help me in the text, right? In this specific verse, he doesn't tell us the specific type of help that Jesus brings. But later in Hebrews, there's a parallel passage where he says that he brings mercy and grace to help those in times of need. So for those who are tempted, facing various trials, the confidence comes from your sins being forgiven, God's anger being turned away from you. It's in the knowledge of Christ's work on your behalf. So no matter what situation you are in, church, Know that Christ is with you. His presence always goes with his people. And what a comfort that is. Like there's, there's nothing that you face this week ultimately that can shake you, right? Because Christ has won the battle. And, and, and when you do face these things, you, you turn to Jesus, right? Like I, I didn't know this about Chuck, but last week he said, what's the thing I always tell you? And then from the back, you guys said, run to Jesus. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful because you know what? He's been here. He's been tempted like you and me. And he, in, in your pain, in your agony, he says, I know. It hurts. I know I've been there. He is the perfect one to help you. So turn to Jesus. There is a short uh, quote um, about uh, Hudson Taylor in the, our Daily Bread devotional. It says this. Hudson Taylor, the founder of China, the China Inland Mission, in the closing months of his life said to a friend, I am so weak. I can't read my Bible. I can't even pray. I can only lie still in God's arms like a little child and trust. That's really what we're called to do. Like a little child, sit in his lap and trust him. Let's pray. Father, each week we need a reminder, each day we need a reminder that you are there for us. Often we will believe that you are not there or that we can handle it on our own. Father, we pray that those things would fall away from our mind, knowing that you are always present. That you come to us in our darkest hour, saying, I know I've been there. And you're able to help, to empathize, and ultimately, to reassure us that you have already won the battle on our behalf. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that you authored a plan in the beginning of time. 
before the beginning of time to send him to live a life like we live and to die a death that we deserved to beat death once and for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.